Just a friendly reminder that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or of the local church in which I serve, you may send any donations to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350, care of Henry's Chapel, UMC. So last week we looked at the resurrection. We looked at the stone being rolled away, and the fact that Jesus had done the hard work of entering into relationship, of of sending that open invitation for us to come and see. And this week we begin a dive into the so what of that. We begin a, a dive into what it looks like to live into that relationship. Yes, we have come and we have seen what God is doing, But we also acknowledged last week that God doesn't say simply come and see, but there is also on the backside of that a go and do. And this week we will begin diving into the book of 1 John. And this week we're actually going to look at 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 2. And this book, as we kind of look at it through over the next few weeks, is a calling to what Christianity truly means. What does it mean to live into that relationship? I think so often when I think about that first century church, I can think I think of it as a, this honeymoon period for Christianity, if you will, that everything is going great, that everything's so fresh and new, and it's led by this great movement of holiness and unity and of the Holy Spirit. And certainly it would have had that. It would have had that time of fresh revelation and miracles and that rapid growth of the church that we're going to hear about at Pentecost and even prior to. However, as we look at 1 John, it shows us that the first century of Christianity was also a time of conflict and splitting of some Christian communities over differences. It's not very different than the church in which we see today, that there were disagreements, there were misunderstandings about what it truly meant to be Christian. And some of those splits were due to disagreements about the person of Jesus Christ and the nature of the Christian life. While some denied that Jesus was really human and they believed and they followed this model of a spiritual Christ, if you will, they believed that Christ is heavenly and sinless and wise. And so they fall into line with the thought that so were we. So are we. And and John 1 is about this nature of Jesus Christ. It's about what it means to follow Christ in this world. And over the next few weeks, we'll we'll dive into 1 John and look at how we are called to link our faith and our life, especially a life filled with love of God expressed through tangible actions. John calls us to as the church, the big C church, to unity in the spirit, to be a community of light and love and life, standing against death and darkness and hate. John depicts that love and fellowship are keys to Christian discipleship. And with that in mind, let's hear these words from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, going through chapter 2, verse 2, where we hear this, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim that you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim that you have seen and heard that so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. This is the message that uh, what John is saying in all of this is, hey, we've seen it. We, we've experienced it. We've lived through. We've, we know Jesus. We've lived in fellowship. And we are telling you about this so that you may experience true joy in your life. And he says, what is that message? This. And continuing in verse 5, he says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, then we lie. We do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the reality is, as we talked about last week, we have an open invitation an open invitation to relationship and community with, uh, with God. And we all, as we see throughout, the, throughout history, humankind has always longed for a community with a higher being. The priests of ancient cults were held up in awe by the, by the communities because they longed to be in relationship with them. In Greek cities, they created their own gods. Mystery and, and, and other religions promised communion with a deity through these secret rites. And, and we as modern humans are no different. We may be a bit more sophisticated, as we'd like to, to believe, but we still yearn for this intimacy with a higher being. Our, but our little G gods nowadays are celebrities and technology and status, and the list goes on and on and on. But as we acknowledge the, these as our little G gods, we start to realize how feeble our gods are. Daily, we are reminded that, our, that the celebrities in which we find ourselves wanting to be like and seeking to desire to have a relationship with, we, we find out that they are not who we thought they were. We hear of the stories of our heroes turning into villains, of, of them falling short of the pedestal that we have put them on, whether it be the stories of people like Ravi Zacharias or Deshaun Watson or whoever else. The list goes on and on of our heroes not being who we have fabricated them to be in our mind. And the reality is, is woe unto us. How could they ever live up to the pedestal that we have put them on? We look at the God of technology and how it is ever-changing and ever-evolving and how we can never truly grasp at it. We look at this idea of status as a God and how it is fleeting 
But Christianity gives us the promise of fellowship with our perfect and omnipotent God, the sovereign creator of the universe. The beauty, and the beauty of this text is that we hear that a God that is incomprehensible, our God, God is incomprehensible yet knowable. But with the possibility of fellowship with God, we find ourselves facing the question of how can a sinful human be in fellowship with a holy God? And this is the, the question that is addressed in our text this morning. That this fellowship is, is not a lowering of God's standards, but an elevation of us as the believer. That through the cross, we're provided access to the Father. Through the resurrection, through the rolling away of the stone, we're provided that access. And it gives us a new birth so that we are indeed the children of God. Yet, Christians, humans, we still sin. And the question remains, what do we do with that sin? And our text calls us to this scary place through the answer that it gives us. It calls us to a place that many of us, myself included, don't like to be so often. It's that call to the light. It's a call to vulnerability, to transparency, to honesty. God wants us to be honest with him about who we are and who God is. We must admit our condition and accept God's grace acknowledging that we live in constant dependence upon God. The Christian life cannot be lived without faith, nor can it be lived if we deny our sinfulness. We have fallen into, though, a belief that uh, over time that as we become Christians, the holier we become, or at least the holier we feel. But spiritual growth is not about this idea of feeling holy. In fact, I've come to realize throughout my own journey that many times the, gro the growth calls us to a sense of pain and that sense of honesty that calls us to feel the exact opposite of holy, but it's a reality, it's acknowledgement of our sinfulness. But it also calls us to the wisdom that God has already forgiven our sins. The other day, me and Anna went into the kitchen. We turned on the light and realized that the light didn't work. Uh, we knew that the lights had been going out. And so that for the past six months, really, we had been down to one bulb. And it had, our kitchen had been dimly lit. And now it was completely dark because both bulbs were out. And as we put in the new bulbs, we have both made the acknowledgement, wow, you can see things. You can Really see now when the light is that bright. And this is what spiritual growth is like because the reality is, is as the light was bright, we kind of wish that it would have gone back to dim because we could start to see the dust and the dirt that had accumulated, that the, that the dimness had kind of masked and hid for us. And as we step more and more into God's light, the cobwebs, the dirt, the grime, and the dark corners of our soul begin to get exposed you know, we thought we think that we have our house in order, but God shines this floodlight on it and shows, hey, these are those spots that you've neglected. These are those spots that you've kind of hidden, that you've forgotten about. These are those spots that hide in the darkness. We thought, and God says, let me show you. God is pointing out the sin in our lives that we've tried to hide. And when we admit to God that, that, that it's dirt, that we need to clean it up, we realize that we can't clean it up, but he can, and we're being honest with God. 
And God shines on us and exposes our sin, but it does not defile God. But we instead agree with him about this is sin. And this is that first step in walking in the light. This is that honesty of walking in the light. I mean, I'm blown away daily by my wife and by our relationship because she... I, I can remember when we first got married or when we, even when we were first dating, I was hesitant to tell her about my struggles or about my fears or about my anxieties because of how she may perceive me. But more and more we grow in relationship, I, I'm honest with her. And I find myself marveling at, our, at the fellowship that we can have in spite of me. Because instead of hiding from her who I am, I... I find myself being vulnerable and honest with her, and it does not diminish our fellowship. Instead, it actually strengthens our fellowship. That it can that she fully accepts me for who I am, even though she knows me better and better day after day. And I'm sure that there are moments where she's looked at me and said, I wish you wouldn't tell me that, but it doesn't change the fact that she still loves me. And I'm convinced that the basis of a good relationship, a good marriage or any other relationship is not two absolutely holy people, but two people that are deeply honest with one another, people that are willing to be vulnerable and transparent with one another. This is where relationship is formed. And to be in God's light means to be exposed to the truth about ourselves as well as God. But it still raises a problem. To have fellowship with God, to be in the light, don't we have to have a sinless life? That would seem to be the case if this idea of being in the light meant an idea of being holy. If light means holiness, then to walk in the light would mean to be absolutely holy. And it's this understanding of light that leads us to this view of fellowship with God as something that we can be in one moment and out the next moment. That yes, I'm living that good, pure life this moment, and then I fall short, and I'm no longer in the light. And this leads us to a sense of schizophrenia when it comes to our Christian nature. One that ends up thinking that it's more that it's a spiritual life and then the human life, and that they're two separate things that we're called to live into. And we don't know who we are from moment to moment. And it leads us to focus on performance more than relationship. But in verse 7, John points us to this. He says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of our sins. So to walk in the light is not to live without sin. Otherwise, the blood of Jesus would not be needed to cleanse. But while we are walking in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing us of our sins. If light means honesty and integrity, transparency and vulnerability, then to walk in the light is not absolute holiness, but it is essential to holiness. In verse 8, John starts to get down to the nitty-gritty. He starts speaking of what it truly means to live in the light, which is that idea of confession and honesty, transparency and vulnerability. 
but not of confession, which leads to salvation. Instead, he goes on and starts talking about this idea of repeated confession of the Christian. He's not addressing the idea of, oh, I, I confessed my sin, now I'm saved. But it's that idea of kind of living in our life with Christian with God and saying, you know what, God, every day I need you. I need you more and more daily. It's that idea of confession being a daily confession of going, God, I'm, I fall short of the example that you have set for me in Christ. I am a human, and though I try and strive, I need your grace. And it's a double acknowledgement of we're not only acknowledging that we are sinners, but we are acknowledging that God is the one that can forgive. It's a confession, is a recognition that God is in control and we are not. And, and God, John goes on in verse 9 to kind of unfold what confession looks like and says that confession involves belief. It's an agreeance with God that, yes, we are sinners. We don't always get it right. And John is telling us that if we confess our sin without even trying to enter into it, into an understanding of the depths of our sin, rather, that we deceive ourselves, that we need to acknowledge that, yeah, we're sinners, but it's not just like an oh, ho, hum, but it's we are sinners and that we are to really just acknowledge the depth in which we are sinners, that we are falling short of the glory of God. And this is one of the problems that we find, though, with formulaic Christianity, with this idea of connect the dots Christianity, is that so often we look at it and just go, oh, sin's a thing that happens, and so I therefore confess it and move on. We, and by doing this, we, can, we kind of push God away with all the formulas that we create. And our relationship with God becomes nothing more than this X plus Y equals Z mentality. It becomes a formula. And we what we see is that we have come to use this text in such a way that it belittles sin and builds a hard-heartedness towards God as our Father because ultimately what it just says is, all right, just say what you did wrong and move on. And it's the idea of whenever we call, look at God and we say, God, I'm inadequate. I'm, I, I need you. We, uh, we, we find that we are fun. The confession is being honest with God about who we are. It's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry, because uh, so often I've said to, to, to the youth and such, you're just uh, sorry. You're sorry you got caught, but you're not sorry about the action. And this is that idea that, God, I long to be in relationship with you. And I know that sin is the thing that removes me from that. God, uh, left to my own devices, I am inadequate. I will fall short. Give me your grace. God, Flood my life with your grace and forgiveness. And at its core, confession is not just this judicial idea of, God, you forgive me of the price of sin, but it's a relational thing. It's not saying God is this place where we come and we dump our sin and we dump our issues, but God is a person in the Father. Understanding this relationship helps us to understand confession because as we understand this relationship, we realize that confession of sin is a call to repentance. It's a call to say, you know what, God, it's not that I, I, I am sorry that I screwed up, but it's I, I don't want to do this anymore because I am in a relationship with you. I love you and I want to please you and you alone. And the scriptures are clear that we cannot come into a relationship with God without repentance. And they equal, are equally clear that we cannot sustain this relationship without repentance. John is pointing us to in our text this morning a call to walk in the light 
A call to do the difficult work, to, to be vulnerable and transparent about where we fall short and about our struggles as human beings, to acknowledge how filthy our house is, to acknowledge those dark corners of our soul, and to do the work with the help from God of doing a little bit of spring cleaning, if you will, of cleaning up our soul and saying, God, as I walk in the light daily, I want you to shine those light, the light on those ways in which I have fallen short, that I can confess and eagerly turn away from those ways in which I have fallen short of your glory and continue to strive for the example set for me through Christ. This is what John is calling us to in John chapter 1. This is that idea of walking in the light. It's not an idea of living a perfect light, a perfect life, but it's an idea of being honest and vulnerable and transparent about those things that the light exposes to us. Amen and amen.